You take your Bibles and turn to the book of Ephesians this morning. I'll tell you, this is not a Mother's Day sermon, by the way, in case any of you were worried about that. This is not a Mother's Day sermon. Uh, but it is. Uh, I'm going to use that excellent text in Proverbs 31 to talk about... Um, <clears throat> Why she did what she did. Why she behaved as she did. So commendable. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4. We start reading in verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off the old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirits of your minds and to put on Uh, the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let sin, do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity for the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honorable work with his own hand, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for the building up and fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Let's pray. Pray for yourselves. Pray for me quietly and then I'll lead us in prayer. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And I thank you, Lord, for calling me to this position. It is, Lord, of your grace. And I pray that you would be with me this morning as I proclaim your word. That I would do so with clarity and unction of your spirit, that you would bless that word as it goes forth. That you would be with your people We pray, our God, that you would apply your word to meet the specific needs of the people that are here. Anyone here not converted, we pray for their conversion this morning. We thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. What makes a person do the things they do that are excellent and that are good? As Charles read Proverbs chapter 31, uh, the things that the woman did for her family were to be admired loving her family, upholding her husband, uh, having a good reputation among those who knew her and her children, 
rising up to praise her. If your children love you, then you know you're a good mother or a good father. There are families where children are estranged from their parents. It's a very sad thing. It doesn't necessarily mean those parents did anything wrong. It could simply mean the hearts of those children are rebellious and hardened against the Lord. Well, as we read through that portion of Proverbs 31, at the end of it, it says she fears the Lord. Blessed is the woman who fears the Lord. And her fear of God, her love for God, her commitment to serving God is what is behind everything that she was doing. She wasn't doing it simply because she was a good person or because she wanted to be a good mother. Uh, The text will not allow that. Uh, It is that she did it out of a commitment to serve God and she wanted to please God in the things that she was doing. Well, uh, this morning, as we come to this text, uh, we learn uh, that as Christians, we of necessity have changed. We of necessity must continue to change as we are now in the family of God. As we look at this this morning, recognizing our lives are different, therefore we should be different, would have us to see this. Since God would have us lovingly forgive offenses while walking in love, while being maintained in love, while exercising love day in and day out in our lives, while our God would have us to lovingly forgive offenses while walking in love, we are to focus on Christ as our example in doing this. And three things this morning. Uh, the mandate to imitate God, the motivation to imitate God, and the mission as we imitate God. In the first place, then, the mandate to imitate God. The apostle in the above sections in chapter 4 has been stressing to the people that are receiving this letter, the necessity of change. Once you become a believer, uh, it necessitates change in your life. So the things that you used to do that were contrary to God's word, contrary to how God would have you behave, you must put those things away. And it is that God's spirit works in our lives and takes away the desire of those things for us. But yet we still struggle in our lives. He has told them to walk worthy of their calling, worthy of honoring Christ, uh, that they are to walk in lowliness and gentleness, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep, striving to keep the unity of the Spirit of God between them. As Satan would come in and wreck the bond of peace, because he loves nothing more than to destroy Christians and to destroy the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. So walk worthy of your calling. He has told them that Christ has won the victory over Satan and over death and secured gifts for the church. These gifts are given to everyone in the church, and each person has a different gift as he cites it here in the text. Some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists. So because of the victory of Christ over Satan, over sin, over death, he gives gifts to his church. That we may use those gifts for the building up, not for the tearing down, for the building up of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's not to say that we never correct one another. That's not to say that we don't recognize there are times to confront over sin. But we do so. In humility, 
we do so gently, otherwise, lest we fall into sin ourselves, as it says in another place. And Scripture, but your responsibility as a member of Southwest Presbyterian Church, as a member of the Church of the Lord Jesus Christ, is to use your gift for the benefit of other people. And if you are a prayer warrior and you offer up your prayers to God faithfully, then you would pray for the church. You would pray for this church. Not solely, but that would certainly be an aspect of your prayer. You are to be a builder, not a destroyer. That's God's good pleasure that we build up the church of Christ. He has told them to put off former conduct, that is, habits, ways of thinking, things that they did in their lives before coming to faith. He says that we are to put on the new man. The new man has been created by faith in Jesus Christ. You have become, you have gone from being a dead in your trespasses and sins, being one who had no interest in godliness, no interest in, in the things of God, no interest in Christ, to one who now is a servant of Christ and a son of the living God. We are to walk as created men in true righteousness and holiness. And we are to strive with great effort to put on purity, putting off death. And the deeds of death, the deeds of sin, uh, putting off those things, getting rid of those things in our lives, the fleshly habits that displease God. We are to put those things away. There's lust. There's greed. There's pride. There's rudeness. There's gossip. And that is to name but a few. And gossip is one of the easiest and most secure ways to cripple a church. Or destroy it, whatever the case may happen to be. He gives then guidelines for loving one another and the brotherhood of believers. Don't lie, he says. Don't lie to one another. Be angry, but do not sin. And let your sin be, let your anger be stirred up by lawlessness, not by being inconvenienced, not because you didn't get your way. But because of lawlessness, let your anger be stirred up. And he says here that you put it away, that you put it away before the sun goes down so that you sleep in peace. Because once that anger has taken root, it leads to hatred. It leads to being dissatisfied. And the ultimate expression of anger, as you know, is murder. And though we may not actually take a gun and kill somebody, we can certainly murder their character. And so he says here, don't give Satan an opportunity. Don't give him a toehold. Don't steal, but rather labor that you may give to others who are in need. And don't let hurtful words proceed from your mouth, but rather those that edify and build up. Forgiving one another as God has forgiven you in Christ Jesus. That's the message of chapter 4. And as we read that message, as we think about that message, we understand it applies to me. It applies to you. What Paul wrote to the Ephesians so many centuries ago is the authoritative word of God. And as we read that, it has to speak to us. That yes, this is what I am supposed to do because of who I am in Christ Jesus. That I can't allow things that are contrary to God's will for me to take root and grow. 
And I can't excuse bad behavior by rationalizing it away. Cannot do that. So given all these responsibilities, as he is insisting that we are to carry them out and to do them, we recognize that it is a difficult thing to do. So he says here to us, in order to do these things, be imitators of God. Be imitators of God. Let your pattern for behavior, let your coach for your conduct be God. Now, this is a a very extraordinary, difficult to command. We're told to love other sinners. Everybody here. Everybody here is a sinner. We all are. And there is uh, no telling what we are capable of doing. And we have to love people who may perhaps get on our nerves. We may love people who perhaps may be arrogant and stubborn and hard to deal with. Uh, We are to love people who think they know everything and we're dumb as a bag of hammers. We have to love them. Not easy to do. This is a hard command. This is a very difficult command, but it is a command. It is something that we must do if we are going to be pleasing to God. And we must love those people who simply don't get on our nerves, who simply are stubborn and hard to deal with. We must love people who sin against us and therefore offend you personally in a very, very significant way. We are to love them. And to what extent are we to do this? Until we get fed up, until we justify we've had enough, and here's why. Well, according to what we have here in the Scriptures, and according to what Jesus says, we are to do it always. Listen to Matthew 5, 43 through 48. Matthew 5. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor, hate your enemy. That's good news. That is great news. That's what the Pharisees were teaching. You love your neighbor, you hate your enemy. It's okay. Listen to what Jesus said. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? You love those who love you, so what? Big deal. It's normal. The difficult thing is to love those who are unkind to us, to love those who have done something unjust to us. Uh, love those who love you what we already have. Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. You are therefore to be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. This is a very powerful section of Scripture to me, very powerful. Because you have to put it in the context. You are to be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. You don't extract that verse from the context. And then say, well, I'm just supposed to be holy. I'm supposed to be godly. Yes, you are. But that's not what this text is talking about. When Christ says here, your example for conduct is God and the way God treats people. And he makes his sun rise and shine on the just, the ungodly, and the, un- and the just, the godly, and the unjust. And if you look at the world today, there are people who are extraordinarily wicked and yet extraordinarily blessed. 
I can name some, but y'all might like them. I don't, I don't know. But they are very, very wealthy people that are very, very intent on spreading wickedness. And yet, how'd they get that money? Well, it was by their own ingenuity. It was by their own effort. They were smart. That may be true. But they have what they have because of God. He expresses a general kindness to the entire world. He takes care of everybody, not just the church, but of everybody. And there are some that are simply opposed to God, and he blesses them with material things. I think it's to their own destruction. But nonetheless, he sends his reign on the just and the unjust. So you then, he says here in the text, are to be like God. You are to be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. The way that we treat people, listen to this, the way that we treat people, the things we say about people, the attitudes we have about people is set for us by God. God determines how you are supposed to behave in your relationships toward others in this church, toward others outside of this church, toward your neighbors. God has determined how you are to behave and how you are to treat people. And it is that you are to express a general kindness to all. That doesn't mean you let people walk all over you. That doesn't mean you can't defend yourself. But it means that so far as it is up to you, so far as it is up to you, you're going to live in peace with all people. So far as it is up to you. So we do good to all, especially those reading the scriptures of the household of God. Well, uh, the apostle emphasizes that we are to imitate God uh, in our treatment of others. Paul's addressing the church here. Uh, we are to be imitating God regarding our treatment of other people. It's just it's illustrated by what the Lord Jesus Christ said in the Sermon on the Mount. If you are to know how you're supposed to treat people, then you look to the Scriptures and you act like God. The only way we can do what is commanded here in Ephesians 4 is by imitating Christ, by imitating God. So that our attitudes are formed from the Scriptures. Our actions are based upon the Scriptures as we deal with other people. And we are committed to that because God would have us to be committed to that. Well, if we are to be like God, well, what is He like exactly? Uh, we can't be like God unless we know what God is like. That's logical. Well, we read in the Scriptures in the first place, uh, the, the uh, Scriptures tell us in Isaiah 6 that he's altogether holy. He is completely separated from evil. There is no sin in our God. There is no unjustness in our God. He is altogether lovely. He is altogether good. He is altogether pure. And he is totally through and through godly holy where the angels in heaven who have no sin cover themselves from his presence. Psalm 46.10, be still and know that I am God. Trust me. Trust me because of my holiness. Don't be fretful. Don't be um, bobbing to and fro with uncertainty. But be still and know that I am God. Then Job 11.7 through 8 we are asked, can you search out the deep things of God? Can you find out the limits of the Almighty? Are you higher than heaven? What do you know? They are deeper than Sheol. What can you know? 
Their measure is longer than the earth, broader than the sea. What can you know? The heavens declare the greatness of our God. The heavens declare the glory of God, as we read in Psalm 19. And the God that we worship, the God that we serve, the God that would have us treat people kindly and justly, created everything that is. Everything. Not only did he create it, he upholds it. He sustains it. And that God addresses us in these words in the text and how we are supposed to behave toward others. Now, we must have a proper spiritual attitude and condition if we would ever desire to imitate God. Now, it is only as we come to faith in Jesus Christ that we have any intention of trying to imitate God. Those outside of Christ... Those who do not know Christ, those who do not know God, therefore, have no intention of trying to be like God or in any way seeking to obey him. And they would uh, recognize this if we would come to have that desire to imitate God, that we are sinners and that we stand by nature under God's hammer of judgment, under God's wrath and condemnation. And it is only by his mercy that we would desire to be like him. By his grace, we would desire to be like our God. And once we come to Christ, we desire that. Once you come to Jesus, that is the desire of your heart. Now, we will never be completely like God. We will never be perfect in this world. But we don't use that as a reason not to try. Well, I can't do it, so I won't even try. And you can do it. That's the thing about it. You can be obedient to the Lord, so we ought to strive to do it. And it is the saved sinner who trusts in Christ that begins to take on the characteristics of the one living and true God. And it's possible to obey these commands for three reasons. In the first place, we bear his image. We are created in the image of God. We bear the image of God. So that is one reason we are able to do this. Second reason, his enabling spirit lives within us. We bear God's image. God's spirit lives within us after conversion. His spirit lives within us, and he enables us. And so that we understand by the presence of God in my life, I can deal with things that I never thought I'd ever be able to deal with. Like the Apostle Paul, I love that at the ends of Second Timothy. Everybody deserted me, but the Lord stood with me. We can say that too. God is with me. He is with me as I face this trial. He is with me as I deal with this difficult situation. God is with me. And He is with me as a loving, kind, heavenly Father. And we can rest in that reality. And we should rest in that reality. So his spirit indwells us. We bear his image. His spirit indwells us. And uh, his regenerating, transforming grace. By that transforming grace, regenerating, transforming grace, we have become his children. We are the apple of his eye. Do you ever think about that? How much God loves you. The apple of his eye. As it says in chapter 3 of the book of Ephesians, it is a love that goes beyond comprehension. It is so deep 
It is so grand. And in our feeble attempts, in our finite way, we are to strive to be like him. Imitate God. That's an order. You get it? Imitate God. That's a commandment. That's an order. We are to do that. Second thing, the motivation to imitate God, and we are his children. Uh, the, the script in, in, the, in the text here says that we are as beloved children. That we are not strangers and aliens to our God. We are beloved children. A child who knows, listen to this, a child who knows how much his parents love them. And they in turn love their parents back. Are going to desire to please them. Children who know without a doubt that their parents love them. Their parents even adore them. And the children love and respect their parents. They're going to want to please them. God loves you. Let it ring in your ears. God loves you. If you're in Christ, you can say without a doubt, God loves me. He loves me more than I could ever think or imagine. No matter what circumstances I'm in, no matter what I'm dealing with, no matter what I'm facing... I can rest in this. My God loves me. And we are his children by adoption, not by nature. It is by a work of God that we are his children. That he's taken us from the outside world of being separated from him because of sin. He justifies us. And he does more than that. He adopts us. What is adoption? The old catechism says adoption is an act of God's free grace. Whereby we receive, we are received into the number and have a right to all the privileges of the sons of God. As a redeemed believer, as a child of God, you have privileges and rights. What do you have? You have the right to pray. You have the right to call God your father. You have the right to understand your sins are going to be forgiven all the time. You have the right to understand that you are going to be raised the last day in glory. Because Christ has promised it to us. A right to the privileges. To be able to pray. To be received into the number where I know I'm a part of God's elect. I'm a part of the family of God. Just like if, if I, I always told Melinda, I really wish we had more children. <laughs> so, um, she didn't agree with it. Uh, that if I adopted a child and brought the child into my family, then he would have full rights of all the other children and privileges of all the other children to sit at my table, to share my vast inheritance at the end of my days. He would have those rights. Well, we have rights, you see, as we have been adopted into God's family. And again, one of those greatest rights is to be able to call God our Father. Well, the finally, the mission as we imitate God is focusing on uh, our uh, responsibility to practice mutual love. F.F. Bruce said this, The readers then are urged to imitate their Heavenly Father by showing the same large-hearted forgiveness to others as He has shown to them. And so then that is our pattern, that is our model for forgiveness, the Lord Jesus Christ. So we are to be like Him and walk in love. That's to be the habit of our life. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, 
be imitators of God. Since you're supposed to do that, be imitators of God. Because he does it perfectly. There's no man, no woman, no child who does this perfectly. You don't want to imitate other people. They fail. We fail. But God doesn't. He never fails. He is consistent in loving and forgiving. And the example given here is the Lord Jesus Christ. Walk in love. Let that be your practice. Let that be your day-by-day habits. Walking in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. A fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. So, again, the example of love is Jesus Christ. We are to walk in love. He is our example. He is our instructor. We are in the school of Jesus. You have to hear every word he says to us in the school of Jesus. He instructs us. And what he tells us is true. We are to love one another. We are to put away old habits. We are to put off the deeds of the flesh. And we are to love one another. To walk in love means that is a pattern of your life. Every mean thought, every hurtful notion, every cross word that is as pleasing to God, get rid of it. We have choices. We are not driven by passions. We're not animals. We're human beings. We make choices. We need to see to it that our choices are pleasing to God. So that at the end of the day, I can go before the Lord. How have I done? Well, you've done some things wrong. You've sinned, sinned, but overall, you've done pretty good as far as loving other people. You did a pretty good job on that one. Although you did have that one thought there in the day. So we want to please our God. Ephesians 4, 31 and 32, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. We develop that attitude by remembering God loved us so much, Christ died for us. A sacrifice. The Lord Jesus was sacrificed upon the cross of Calvary. To quote an old Andre Crouch song, he left his mighty home in glory to bring to us redemption's story and came and died just for me. It's personal, you see. He came and died just for me. And oh, but I'm glad. So very glad. There with the blood of Christ placed upon our lives by God's grace, we are now have access to the very throne room of God. And we have the certainty of looking forward to being in glory and being free from sin and all the struggles of this world and looking forward to our own resurrection from the dead. That is certainly going to happen. He left His mighty home in glory, a cause for praise and a cause for confidence and a cause for imitation of our God. He died suffering the wrath and harsh judgment of God for you if you're a Christian, a judgment that you and I both deserve. First Peter 3.18, Christ died for sins once for all. I love that verse. The just for the unjust, in order that he may bring us to God. Great verse. Three-point sermon right there. 
imitation. You may remember uh, many years ago, many, many years ago now, there was an anti-smoking commercial. This father and son were walking together, a little bit of music playing in the background. The son did everything the father did, mimicked everything he was doing. Washed the car together. Well, the last scene in the commercial is the daddy sitting by a tree and the son sitting next to him. When he takes out a pack of cigarettes, starts smoking a cigarette. He puts the pack down on the ground. The little boy's looking at it. He said, like father, like son. Think about it. Pretty, pretty effective. Pretty effective. Well, our model then and the one that we are to strive to imitate is the Lord Jesus' life. Lord Jesus Christ. Christ. Thank you. Lord Jesus Christ, we are to strive to be like Him. And the revelation of God in the Scriptures, that is how we are to behave. That is how we are to act as God's children, if we would be pleasing to Him. That means, again, we need to make choices. Do you desire, do you have any desire whatsoever to be like Christ? Any desire whatsoever to be like Jesus? To please God? Because if you don't, that's an indication, a real indication, you're not a Christian. Because Jesus says this, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If there's no desire to do that, you're not a believer. You need to come to Christ because otherwise you sit under his wrath and condemnation. And why do that? When we can sit under his loving care and look for not hell to come, but heaven to come. So I'd urge you to come to faith for the, for the Christian. Avoid those things in your life which oppose having a loving and forgiving attitude. Avoid those things. Uh, We are not strapped in a chair and forced to go this way or that way because we can't get out of the chair and we have to endure whatever comes to us. No, we are free and we're walking around and we make decisions. We think and we reason. And so we think and we reason then, I am supposed to imitate God. Is this imitating God? This thing that I'm doing, is it imitating God? Well, we have to get rid of a bitter heart. If we have a grudge, we have to get rid of the grudge. That's not pleasing to God. Uh, and uh, we are to desire to spread peace, not turmoil, unity. And then make a conscious choice to see to it that love captivates your life. That you deal with anger, you pray. Lord God, I know, I know I'm not kind as I need, I'm not loving as I need to be. I know that. Lord, help me to see even more of it. And grant me the grace to turn away from it. And grant me, oh God, a loving, kind, and compassionate heart like Christ. Like Jesus has. Lord, grant that to me. Read the scriptures. Read the Bible. And reflect on God's patience with you. His kindness to you in Jesus. Reflect on those things. And parents, what a responsibility you have to teach your children these things. You don't want to raise a hellion. The best way to do that is to do nothing. Never discipline, never correct, never teach. We are to teach our children these same things as God has given us that responsibility. Mothers and fathers are to be involved in the rearing of their children. And discipline is necessary to them because we want them and instruction to be loving and kind and compassionate people.
as God calls us all to be. Let's pray.